The text for our message this morning will be found in Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10. We're going to be reading verse 1 down through verse 13. You'll find this a familiar passage of Scripture. You've heard portions of it, for uh, I'm sure, uh, in a sermon somewhere along the line. And today I want to commit our study this morning to this portion of chapter uh, of chapter 10 of Romans, Romans chapter 10 and verse 1. The Bible says, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. For Moses describes the righteousness which is of the law, that the man which doeth those things shall live by them. But the righteousness which is of faith speaks on this wise, Say not in thine heart, Who shall ascend into heaven, that is, to bring Christ down from above, or who shall descend into the deep, that is, to bring up Christ again from the dead. But what saith it? The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart, that is, the word of faith which we preach, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thy heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the Scripture saith, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon Him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father, I thank You for this time that we have together. I ask now that as we come to the preaching of Your Word, Lord, that You would remove the distractions in our hearts and in our minds, the things that would take away the seed of the Word. I ask that you would give us listening ears and open hearts. Speak to us this morning through your spirit and your word, Lord, as it is preached, that we would be receptive to the the gospel. And Lord, if there is any here that do not know you as Savior, that even this morning you would show them the peril of sin and show them Christ crucified, Lord. I ask that you give me the grace to say what is needed and nothing more, Lord, and ask that you come and do the work that only you can do. ask this all in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. There's many things I could talk to you about this morning. Certainly some of the unrest going on in society, it's unnerving, right? It, It starts to wear on you after a while. All of these things constantly going on. And we could address that. We have in the past months. And spent much time with that. I could talk to you about some growing tensions within our country and the way that the future looks. It either looks very good or very bad, depending on who you're going to vote for, I guess, in your own mind. And we could talk about that and the unrest that comes along with that. But quite frankly, what I read here in this passage of Scripture, what I read all over Scripture, and what I have to talk about this morning, namely Christ... And the gospel is more important than any of that. Because it is the gospel that gives us a firm foundation to face whatever we may face in the world. 
It is the gospel that is the primary thing we have to know in life. There's nothing more important, nothing more needful in your knowledge than the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because without that, we are hopeless. Without that, we are damned and doomed. So I simply want to talk about that this morning. I don't have my usual three-point structure or the the points that start with the first letter or they kind of sound the same. None of that this morning. I simply just want to share my heart with you as God has shared His heart, as He expresses His heart in Scripture and in the Word. Paul has quite a way of writing. He has quite a way of making his own heart known. And we see that there in the first couple verses. If you remember, just to bring, bring it into context just a little bit, Romans chapter 9 and chapter 10 and chapter 11 are all dealing with Israel and how Israel, who was God's people of the Old Testament, how they fell away when Christ came. Because at the time Paul writes this, they're not on the same level anymore. They've fallen away. They've walked away from God. And Paul is, is addressing that. How did that happen? How can that happen? And these theologically massive chapters are seasoned with tears. You see it here. He says, my heart's desire and my prayer is that Israel would be saved. You can see it in the beginning of chapter 9 where he says, man, I could even wish myself accursed from Christ if Israel would be saved. His heart is broken. Look there in verse 1. He says, my heart's desire and my prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. That word desire is translated in other places in Scripture as goodwill or pleasure. My heart's goodwill for Israel, the pleasure of my heart, what I really, really want for them is that they might be saved. And that word prayer is not just the normal word for like an intercession or an asking God to do something. It's the word supplication. Like, you know, those prayers when you're begging for something. You ever have those? You're just pouring it all out before God. Paul says, that's what I'm praying for, for Israel, that they might be saved. The goodwill and the longing of Paul's heart is for the salvation of others. Can I just start out with that kind of a basis this morning? We have much to say about that, and and we've got a little way to go in, in our exposition this morning, but can I start out and ask, what is the good pleasure of your heart? Well, because our hearts can be given to many things, can't they? You'll find out pretty quick. Who's some, uh, what someone's heart is given to, just listen to them talk, because that's what comes out. And there have been people that I know is given over to uh, hobbies, or given over to their job, or given over to uh, many different things. And I'm not saying those are bad. Those all have a place in life. But you know what? There's some people I've talked to where all that they talk about is witnessing. All they talk about is sharing the gospel. All they talk about is Christ. Is our heart that way? Because Paul's is, right? He shows his to us. Does anyone hear this from me that I'm talking about how much I want people to be saved? Is the the prayer, the fervent prayer of your heart, not for money or health or success or political peace, because... Some of us are praying for that right now too, aren't we? Let's, let's be honest. I'm, I'm praying for peace in society. I'm praying for political things to just, 
chill out, man, because it's going, it's going crazy. But is that the number one prayer of my heart? Or is it that my family and my loved ones and my acquaintances and my neighbors and my friends, yes, everybody I know, is my fervent prayer that they might come to know Christ Jesus as Savior. I pray that it is. But can I just say that um, it was nice to get away, nice to spend some time in God's beautiful earth and the redwood forests up north. Beautiful, just majestic to see some of these trees and things that God has done. And then we spent some time on the, the coast. But throughout all of that, I knew this message was coming. And I've been fervently praying for this message and for all who would sit in the pews to hear it. And my desire is that the Spirit would move and God would use, as we sang in that song, this poor, lisping, stammering tongue to use the gospel that someone might be saved this morning. Is that the desire of your heart? I pray it is. I pray it is. That if you don't know, as, if you don't know Jesus as your personal Savior, that you would this morning. Or even if you thought you were saved in the past, but you aren't sure now, or perhaps you've been led down the wrong path, because both of those can happen, and we don't always address them as we should. Whenever the case is that the Word would take... The Spirit would take the word to your heart and today would be the day that you would be saved. The Scripture says today is the day of salvation. You can leave here this morning right with God. Because that's what Israel needed, right? That's what we see in our text. Paul is praying that they would be saved. Let's read verses 1-3. through three. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. For I bear them record, I, I can see that they have a zeal of God. They have a passion for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of God's righteousness, they go about to establish their own righteousness and they have not submitted themselves to the righteousness of God. To put it very plainly, Israel was not right with God. And that's what the term righteousness talks about. When you see that in Scripture, when it says righteous or justified, it talks about being right with God, a right standing with God. And Israel was not right, even though they had zeal even though they had passion for Him, even though they went great lengths to be righteous, they weren't. And so Paul says, well, hey, they need to be saved. And you may say to yourself this morning, why does this matter to me some 2,000 years later? He's talking about Israel, these people group back in, in the New Testament times. Why should I care? How does that help me today? Because you and me, we're no different than Israel. You can look in Scripture and see Israel's actions, and you see a mirror of your own heart. I see a mirror of my own heart. And what Paul says to Israel, he says to you, and he says to me. They needed salvation. They needed to humble themselves and submit themselves to the righteousness that God provides. And beloved, so does each and every one of us. We need to be saved. We need to submit ourselves unto God. So what did they need to be saved from? Because if Paul is, Paul is speaking in this, this term about being saved, it, it, it means that there must be something they have to be saved from. It indicates that there's peril or there's danger. That's what the word 
saved brings to mind, right? Like somebody snatching you out of a dangerous situation or when your kids are about to run across the street or touch a fire, or the, not a fire, well, yeah, fire. Kids can do a lot of different things. A, stove, a pot on the stove or something, you, you know, you grab their hand or you, you grab them back. That's a form of deliverance, isn't it? You're saving them from harm. That's what the word means. There's, there must be some kind of danger coming. Well, what is that danger? It's not national security for Israel or some oppression of, of enemies against Israel. He's not talking about some kind of improvement of life. No. Paul is talking about the peril, the danger of our own sin. That's what we need to be saved from. We need to be saved from our own sin. And this is where the message always gets uncomfortable. This is where many will tune out because people don't want to hear the negative. But can I say this morning, the negative is necessary. We need to know that we need salvation. We need to know what our standing before God is. Just as if you go to a doctor and he he tells you that he's found something or that you have this or that wrong. That's bad news, right? I don't want to hear that anything's wrong with my body. I don't want to hear that something's not going like it should. But we need to hear the bad news so that we know how to take care of it, right? Well, the Bible is very clear when it speaks to us. On a much more and a much deeper level than some ailment with our body, we have an ailment with our very soul. We must be saved from sin. Our sin that has separated us from God and that brings the judgment of God. We've already seen that clearly in this book. If you could, just turn back a couple chapters to Romans chapter 3. You know these scriptures. You've heard them before. And there's a reason for it because it tells us clearly what's wrong. Chapter 3 and verse 9. What then? Are we better than they? He's, he's gone on this whole thing about like pointing out all the sins of the world and pointing out self-righteousness. And he says, what, are we better than anybody else? No. Is that what the next word is? No. In no wise. For we have done, excuse me, we have before proved both Jews and Gentiles that they are all under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous. Well, what about so-and-so? No, not one. Verse 11, there is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. And together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. Their throat is an open sepulcher, an open tomb. And with their tongues they have used deceit. And the poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. The way of peace they have not known. And there is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped. You might have some replies. Let's pause there for a second. You might have some replies to say, well, what about this? And what about so-and-so? And what about my grandma? And what about this really good person? How can you say that they're not good in and of themselves? He says every mouth is stopped. When we see ourselves in the light of the holiness of God, in the, uh, uh, the glory of how Scripture describes Him, and we see our own sin, you know what we do? We put our hand over our mouth and say, I'm a sinner. Every mouth may be stopped. And what is the next phrase? All the world become guilty before God. All of us. Verse 23. You know verse 23, right? For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All. A-double-L-all. 
pretty easy to understand. That's you and that's me. Somewhere along the line, we've fallen short. We've lied. We've stolen. We've had impure thoughts. We've put other things before God. Somewhere along the line, all of us have sinned. And we come short. And the wages for sin, Romans 6 and verse 23, is death. Our sin separates us. It kills the relationship between us and God. And something has to happen to repair that. And it puts us in judgment. It puts us in condemnation because all of us are guilty. We're all under sin, even those who seem to be good and religious or even those we can think of that are really bad. It's all of us. We all face the same guilt. We all face the same condemnation. We all face the same eternal wages. A four-letter word that causes our spines to tingle. Hell. You don't hear a lot of preaching about that anymore, do you? makes people uncomfortable. People don't like to hear about that, but beloved, we have to hear about it. Hell is real. It is the judgment for sinners, which means it's the judgment for me and for you because we've fallen short. That's a hopeless situation, and we need some help. (laughs) We are in danger. We need to be saved, don't we? So what saves us from that? Paul is saying Israel needs to be saved. Okay, if, if I'm the same as Israel, what must happen? How can Israel be saved? How can I be saved? Well, Paul is going to go on to explain. And that's what I want, I pray, is, is crystal clear this morning, is how that we can be saved from sin, saved from judgment. Go back to Romans chapter 10 if you turned away. He says, My prayer for Israel, my heart's desire for Israel is that they would be saved. Verse 2, for I bear them record that they have a zeal of God or a passion for God, but not according to knowledge. Now, there's much we could say about this verse. We're actually going to come back next week and look at some things that God has given, how He's instructed us to serve Him and the beauty of the knowledge that He gives us. But today, I want to lay down the primary step, the first thing you need to know before anything else. They had a passion for God. You know what? There's a lot of people that have passion for God. They may have right attitudes about Him. They may have right thoughts about Him. They may even say that they love Him to one extent or another. You're going to find people just in everyday life that will say that. Well, there used to be less. I think there's more now. But there's probably few people that would outright say they hate God. Well, Of course, the way society's going, that number just keeps going up. But people have some right feelings about him to one extent or another. They have the right passion. But passion does not save. The right feelings or the right thoughts do not save. Why do I say that? Because Israel was so passionate about God and serving Him, and keeping the law, and their idea of God, that when Jesus came on the scene, what happens? They rejected Him. Because He didn't fit their own idea. He didn't fit their own thoughts. You're not the Jesus we want. You're not the Messiah we think we should have. They rejected Him. And so all those passions were what? Wrong. They had passion, see? They had zeal, but not according to knowledge. 
Good thoughts do not save, and neither, beloved, do good works. Good works do not save. Look at the next verse. For they being ignorant, or they didn't, they didn't get it. They weren't perceiving. Not This word like we use ignorant is willfully stupid. <laughs> we, this means they just they didn't grasp it. Why? Because they rejected Jesus. So being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness, they did not submit themselves to the righteousness of God. They wanted to establish their own righteousness by keeping the law, by doing good and not bad. And again, there are many today who think the same way. If I'm just good enough, I'll go to heaven. If I'm not as bad as others, because it's easy to point out other people who are worse, right? Well, just look and so and so, they do this and they, she does that and blah, blah, blah. It's easy to, to point out the sins of others. And if I just don't do those bad things... I can be good enough to make myself right with God. I can be righteous enough. Well, here, listen, there's a few problems with that, first of all. This righteousness that Israel was trying to establish, we don't hold a candle to that. I mean, that that was like dietary. That was the way they dressed. That was reverence and talk. They'd blow us out of the water any day. And if they couldn't make it, we won't either. Secondly, Scripture speaks against that. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 9. It is not of works, lest any man should boast. You see, you start saying you can be good enough to get to heaven. Who's good? Your good? My good? Which one's better? What's the level? Do I save myself more because I'm better than somebody? Or somebody less saved? It doesn't work like that. It's not of works, lest any man should boast. Uh, excuse me, Romans chapter 3 and verse 20 says, By the deeds of the law there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. It's not by works, among many others in Scripture. And look down at verse 5. For Moses describes the righteousness which is of the law, that the man which doeth those things shall live by them. You're going to have to live by the whole law. You want to be righteous before God? You've got to be righteous in all places. You may not lie, which is a lie, <laughs> if you say that, right? At some point along the line, we've lied. You may not lie as much as other people. You might keep yourself from stealing, but somewhere along the line, we've broken the law of God. You may not lie like others, but have you coveted? Have you used the Lord's name in vain or put other things before God? Then you're not living by it, are you? And James says this in chapter 2, Whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point is guilty of all. One sin, one sin because God is so holy and righteous, one sin brings the whole weight of the law crashing down on us. We cannot make ourselves righteous. There's nothing we can do that makes us right with God. There's no checklist of good deeds. Like go to church 10,000 times in your life. Like that. There's no magic amount of money. There's no church to join that automatically makes you right. You need to hear that. Coming here is wonderful. It's a blessing. We need it. We're going to talk about why we need it next week. But this doesn't save you. No church that you join automatically makes you good. No amount of passion in your heart makes you right with God. We are guilty and we are condemned and we need someone to rescue us. We need someone to save us. 
And that's where God steps in. You see, God in His love, God in His grace and His mercy, even though we have sinned against Him, He provides the righteousness that we need. He provides the way that we can be reconciled back to Him, what we cannot do for ourselves. And how does that come? Verse 4, For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believes. The goal of the law. It all points to Jesus. It's Jesus. He's the one who brings us back to God. All of the law points to Him and His righteous life. It's always been about Jesus. And let me just say, I thought things were understood in society. I thought things were understood in America more than they are. I read a a poll yesterday that I don't think I'm getting it wrong, but about 52% of churchgoers believe Jesus was a good man, but that He wasn't God. That's not Jesus. That's not Jesus. Jesus was a man, yes, but He's so much more than a man. Jesus was a prophet, yes, but He's so much more than a prophet. He was a teacher, yes, but so much more than a teacher. The Bible is clear. Jesus of Nazareth was God in the flesh. John chapter 1 says the word in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And verse 14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld as we beheld him, we beheld the glory of the father, God, the son in a human body in flesh like us. God come down to us to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. You see, it's Christ who provides the righteousness we need to those who believe in Him. Through Jesus, you can be made right with God. If you keep your finger here, one more place I'd like to have you turn is the book of 2 Corinthians. Take a right turn in your Bible, you'll run right into 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians in chapter 5. We cannot make ourselves righteous. We are dependent upon somebody else to, right? Look in verse 18, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 18. It says, All things are of God who hath reconciled us to Himself by Jesus Christ and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation to that, or namely this, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed, us to, committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now, then we are ambassadors for Christ as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God, for He hath made Him, God hath made Christ to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. It's through Jesus righteousness comes, not any way else. It's through Jesus. It's that simple. There's no long process. There's no checklist of things that lead up to salvation. There's no going here and going there. No, it's Christ. We come to Christ to be made right with God. And Paul illustrates that back in Romans chapter 10 in the next verses. I want you to see this here. And he's going to reference a conversation in Deuteronomy. We're not going to go there, but... When Moses is telling the people of Israel, hey, you want, you want to be right with God? You want to serve Him? You want to stay close to Him? It's not that hard. Can I say this morning, if you want to be saved, it's not that hard. 
Some struggle with it, but it's an internal struggle. The way to salvation from our sin, the way to be made right with God, is very simple. Look in chapter 10 and verse 6. But the righteousness which is of faith, as a first key, is faith, speaks on this wise. Say not in thine heart, who shall ascend to heaven? How are we going to know it? Who's going to bring it down to us? How are we going to know how to be made right with God? I mean, is God going to show it? Yes, that is to bring Christ down from above. Jesus has come down, God in the flesh, to tell us what we need to know. In fact, he says in John chapter 3, No man has ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven. He's talking about himself. I'm come down to give you the way. It's not unknowable. God tells us and shows us in Christ. Verse 7, Or who shall descend into the deep? Who's going to conquer the things that conquer us and overcome the things that we can't overcome? That is to bring Christ again from the dead. He has conquered the things that are impossible to us, namely sin and death. God has brought it to us and God has completed it for us all in Christ. Your salvation is not far off. It is not unknowable. Verse 8, what saith it? The word is nigh thee or near to you, even in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. The word of faith which we preach. What is that word of faith? And what is it that we preach? We preach Christ. Let this pulpit be known for one thing, and that is Christ. Christ crucified, buried, risen again. Oh, we preach the gospel. Romans chapter 1 and verse 16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It is the power of God to salvation to everyone that believeth. Not just a group of people. Not just special people. The power of God that saves us is the gospel for everyone that believes. Oh, my friend, do you know the gospel this morning? The gospel that is all about Jesus and the eternal life and the eternal righteousness that He brings. You know, He came here and He lived a perfect, sinless, righteous life. Perfect. He never sinned, not like us. He lived a perfect, sinless, righteous life. And as we read in 2 Corinthians, He took all of your sin and my sin to the cross. You know that means every thought that only you, knew about, only you know about? Every bad word that you've said, every bad deed that you've done, Jesus took that. He became that and He took that to the cross. And on that cross, He shed His own sinless, precious blood to pay for your sin. Yours. Mine. And He took the wrath of God meant for you. You know how I said that the Scripture shows us we're guilty and we're condemned, right? We're facing judgment for God. On the cross, Jesus took that judgment for you. He took that judgment for you. He bore it for you. He paid the wages of sin by His death. And in its place... He offers His eternal righteous life to all who will believe. If we believe in Him, that He died for us, we are saved from our sin. It's that simple. It's by faith. I believe that He died for me because I am a sinner and He shed His blood for me. I believe that on that cross, He paid for my sins. That He has the power to forgive me and to give me eternal life. 
His blood was shed for me, and He has risen in victory over death. I pray this morning that you can say the same thing, that you believe the gospel. Jesus died for our sins, and He has risen again. And all who believe in Him will be saved. That is the gospel. That is the gospel that you must believe. Verse 9, That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thy heart that God has raised Him from the dead, what does it say? Thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made to salvation. Is your confession Jesus? Not Jesus in works. Not Jesus in church. Not Jesus in me. Not anything else. But Him as supreme Savior and supreme Lord. His blood alone cleanses us from sin. And I love how Paul also points to the resurrection. Not only do you confess Him alone, but you believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead. Why does he point to the resurrection? Because our Savior is not a dead man. He's not a defeated person. No, our Savior is risen in victory. He is alive at the right hand of the Father. He has killed sin at the cross and killed death by His resurrection. He is the only one that can save us. The only one that can make us right with God. You want to put your faith in a man? They're dead. They're sinners, just the same. But Christ has come down, has given His blood, His sinless blood, and is alive to prove He is who He is. Do you believe that in your heart? What does it say? With the heart man believeth unto righteousness. Do you believe in your heart that Christ died for you to save you? That He alone has the power to forgive your sin? To take away that condemnation? To take away that guilt? And to give us eternal righteous life? Do you believe that in your heart? If you do, what does it say? Thou shalt be saved. It's a promise of God. Those who believe on Him will be saved. And it's a belief that happens with the heart. It's not about getting your thoughts right or agreeing with what the Bible says. No, it's believing. It's different. It's different than saying, yeah, I think that's a good story or yeah, I think that's, that's good, that's right, I, I can accept that. No, it's believing in your heart that's a different story, isn't it? It's giving your heart to Him and trusting in Him fully that He is the one that can forgive my sins and give me eternal life. And when you do that, something wonderful happens, doesn't it? When you realize that you are a sinner and guilty and facing eternal judgment, when you turn to Christ alone, crying out for forgiveness... And trusting in faith that He died to save you, something wonderful happens. Let me tell you, that That burden of sin, it's gone. The fear of death is gone in an instant. And your sin is forgiven because your sin is gone. The Scripture says we pass from death to life. He gives us eternal life. The Scripture says we are born again, made a new creation. At that moment, you are made right with God At peace with Him, you are saved. Have you been saved? Can you look back in your life to that moment where that happened? 
You've heard my testimony many times. I remember when I was eight years old in my parents' bedroom after a Sunday night service. The Lord had been dealing with my heart through the preaching of the Word, and I knew that I was a sinner. I was guilty. There's not a lot of bad things you can do at eight years old, but still, I was a sinner. And I went into my parents' bedroom, and I bowed on my knees, and I prayed a very simple prayer. Lord, save me. And I believed in my heart at that moment that Jesus died for me and that He could take my sin away and He could give me eternal life in heaven. I believed in my heart at that moment. And with my my mouth, the prayer was made, Lord, save me. It's that simple. But you know what? At that moment, I was born again. At that moment, from that moment, and all the rest of my life, I know that my eternity waits in heaven. Not because of good works, not because of anything that I've done, but simply because Christ saved me. I pray that you have that in your life. That you can look back. You see, if you believe in Him, you can be eternally secure in His hands. Notice verse 11. For the Scripture saith, Whosoever believeth on Him shall not be ashamed. If you trust in works, they're going to let you down. If you trust in man... They're going to let you down. Listen, maybe even you've been burned by some churches before. Maybe some people were ugly. Or maybe they were preaching a false gospel or maybe living false lives. Listen, that happens. That's why we don't trust in man or his works because they'll let you down. Not Jesus. Jesus never fails. Jesus will never let you down. When He saves you, He saves you forever. So trust Him. And can I say it? doesn't matter who you are or what you've done. Look at the next verse, verse 12. For there is no difference between Jew and Greek. That's not a racial thing. That's like God's people who knew better and had the law and all the rest of the world. So it doesn't matter if those who are trying to live holy lives or those that don't give a rip about God, He saves them all. He has power to save them all. For there's no difference between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord, is over, the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon Him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Listen, it doesn't matter what you've done. Some people hear the Gospel and, and they hear about salvation that Christ brings and they say, yeah, man, but I've, been, I've done some really bad things. There's a lot that I will have to be forgiven for. Well, maybe that's the case. Maybe you've messed up royally. But may I say to you that if Jesus can rise from the dead in victory and power over sin and death, He can forgive your sin. In fact, listen to what Paul says. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. He says, I'm number one sinner. You guys don't got it on me. Number one, I was religious and had a zeal for God, but it was not according to knowledge. And I murdered those, namely Christians, who would oppose it. I was committed to stamping out all of Christianity. He says, I've sinned in just about every area. He said, but Jesus Christ came to save sinners of whom I am chief. And he goes on to say this, 
For this cause I obtained the mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all longsuffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on Him to life everlasting. Modern words, if He saved me, He can save anybody. And He shows me as an example to show He can save anybody. Listen, my friend, I don't know your life. I don't know what you've done. I don't know what kind of sins you've got in, my, uh, in your heart. I know what I've got in mine, and it's not good. But can I tell you, He can forgive you and save you this morning? Listen now, even if you think you don't need it. There's some people it's easy to point to and say, hey, man, they need to be saved. There's some people that think they don't need it. I'm a good person. I do good things. It's all going to work out in the end. No amount of zeal for God, no amount of good works can save us, right? It's by faith alone in Christ alone. It doesn't matter who you are or what you've done, Jesus can save you today. He can take away your sin and give you eternal life and a righteous standing before God, but you have to call on Him. You have to believe. He's not going to force you. He simply offers it to you. Let me end with verse 13. Whosoever, I love phrases like that, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You know who's in that whosoever? Me and you. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord in faith shall be saved. Are you saved this morning? You might be thinking about the rest of the week, plans and schedules, meetings and deadlines. You might be thinking of the next vacation that's coming up. You might be thinking of lunch. Maybe thinking of a lot of things. None of that matters. Because what we're talking about is eternal. When this life is past, and it passes all too short, doesn't it? When this life is past, we face God. For it is appointed unto men once to die, and after this the judgment. That's what the Bible says. And if we go to eternity bearing our sins, we face the judgment of God. But as you hear the gospel this morning, as you see what the scriptures say, as Christ is lifted up, if you would place your faith in Him and let Him take your sin, forgive you and cleanse you from your sin, then you go not in condemnation, you go in righteousness to God. But you have to call on Him. My heart's desire is that you would be if you have not. Maybe, what I've, maybe some of what I've said today has kind of struck a nerve and it's made you mad. I get that a lot. Who the heck do you think you are to stand up and say anything about my character and call me a sinner? You don't know me. No, but I know me. And I'm human. It says we've all sinned. Maybe it's made you mad or maybe it's made you feel a little uncomfortable or guilty or scared. For me, I remember being scared. I didn't want to die and go to hell. Whatever it may be, invite Mary, th- th- that's fine. It might very well be the Holy Spirit drawing your heart. Turning on the lights in some areas to show you, you know what? I'm not right with God. Maybe I thought I was or whatever it may be. And I ask that you don't ignore that. Don't push it away. Instead, feel the weight of it. And know at the same time The only one who can take that away, the only one who can give you joy and peace and forgiveness and eternal life is Jesus.
So I pray that you would turn to Him. Just give it all to Him. Trust Him. I can't save myself, Lord, save me. Forgive me of my sin. Call upon Him and ask Him to forgive you and to save you. And my friend, He will. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord will be saved, not might be. You confess with your mouth, you believe in your heart, thou shalt be saved. I love the King James Version. It leaves no, no doubt. You will be saved if you believe in your heart. It's not an iffy Savior. He's not a sometimes Savior. He saves those who believe, and I pray that you would. You can leave here today and go out those doors knowing I am forgiven. I am cleansed, and heaven is my home. I am saved by the blood of Jesus. You can be today if you would believe. In just a moment, I'm going to close the message with prayer and we're going to end with an invitational song. It's not a time of pressure. I'm not going to say some words for you to repeat. No, it's between you and the Lord. I just want to give you some time to think about what He said. And if the Spirit's drawing your heart and and you're not 100% sure that if your eyes were to close in death right now and you'd be with the Savior forever, that you know that you're separated from Him and something's not right, that you would take that time and just simply bow before Him, ask forgiveness, ask Him to save you before it's eternally too late. You're hearing it now. Maybe you think, well... When next week, the next next week's invitation, I, I, I'll, I'll get right. You heard what Brother Bob said in the devotional, right? Two police officers thought they were going home and their lives are over. I don't know what's going to happen, but I know we're right here and right now. And if the Lord's leading your heart, don't, don't push it away. I pray that you wouldn't. But that you would simply bow before Him, believe, and be saved. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father, I thank you for your wonderful grace and mercy. That even though we are sinners and we are foolish and sinful, Lord, that you have loved us so much to give us your Son on the cross. I thank you for the salvation you've given me. I thank you for the forgiveness of sins that you give me and even the grace you still deal with me every day, Lord. And it's all because of Christ. I pray if there's any here that does not have that peace and does not know You as Savior, Lord, that You would simply draw them. Let the words of what has been said today ring in their heart, that they would see the danger of their their condition before God, and, Lord, that they would simply bow in faith before Christ. Lord, do the work I cannot do, the work that I leave all in Your hands, that You would draw and that You would save, Lord. I thank you for all that you've done. I ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.